You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. I throwed out my shoulder, but I want her that teddy bear. She's got me saying, sugar pie, honey, darling, and dear. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 64, 2, 5, and 10. I I figured this intro was very fitting today, considering there is a whole lot of stuff going down in Nashville. Benny, what up? I know I predicted that Spujo would be the next one gone. I just didn't think uh, Nashville had it in him to pull a trigger midseason on Laviolette. I, I mean, obviously, we're going right into it because this is fresh. It happened yesterday. The Nashville Predators have fired head coach Peter Laviolette, and I think rightfully so. Um, Laviolette comes to them very highly regarded. Uh, he's gotten them to a Stanley Cup final before, uh, plays a very high-tempo game, gets everybody involved, the uh, offense, the defense. He, he just constantly wants the puck, constantly wants it moved. And it doesn't seem like Nashville's doing that this year. It seems like they have hit a skid. They've hit it hard. And their best player this year, Roman Yossi, has been their best player. I mean, their captain. But outside of that, production from the others in that lineup has not been here. And I think that was a huge demise and kind of what ultimately led to this in the end. Yeah, LaViolette uh, finishes his career in Nashville. He was hired in 2014. Uh, with a 248, 143, and 60 record, he took him to the Stanley Cup final in 2017. Like you said, they've been kind of uh, extremely underperforming this year, especially offensively. A lot of that has to do with uh, Laviolette's system. Uh, for example, Philip Forsberg and Matthew Shane, they are tied for the most points for a forward in the pre- with the Predators, 28 points. But that's only 89th in scoring at the position in the entire National Hockey League. Uh, they have the second lowest percentage of points from their forwards among any team in the league at 69.5%. So a lot of their offense comes from the back end with guys like Roman Yossi, like you said, Ryan Ellis. Uh, so that's going to be a key, I guess, performance metric that John Hines is going to have to hit. But, yeah, you can tell something was off. Uh, you know, coaches have a shelf life. Maybe that was it for Laviolette with this with this room and with this group. But yeah, they had a lot of expectations coming to the year, especially after bringing in Duchesne, and it just looked like the magic kind of ran out for him there in Nashville. Yeah, and then after the firing, I thought it was strange too that they immediately didn't name an interim coach. And then it was kind of quiet, and then this morning it comes out that they have hired John Hines, the former New Jersey Devils head coach. What are your thoughts on that? I don't... So, this is a guy who got fired by the third worst team in the National Hockey League in in December, and he's had a job for 
not even a month and a half. And it's all because he knows David Pioli and the front office group in Nashville. I mean, he worked with uh, Pioli worked with Hines uh, with the U.S. national team in a 2016 World Championship tournament. Uh, he was teammates. He was, I think, he was actually roommates with the assistant GM at BU, Jeff uh, Kelty or Kilty. So I feel like this just is a old boys club type of thing where they're comfortable with him. They know, know what they're going to get with him on a day-to-day basis in terms of managing that relationship. He's not going to come in and try and rock the boat too much. But I think if you're firing a guy like Laviolette, you have all these expectations. You're still only a few points out of finishing in a bracket for your division. It's not like that they're fi- just barely fighting for a playoff spot. John Hines isn't really in- like if you're in a room in Nashville and he comes walking through that door. Do you get any more inspired or any more like, all right, fuck it, boys, here we go? Than if Laviolette saved the rest of the year. Want to know what I find funny, especially since you're saying that? So one huge thing, at least with me and knowing LaViolette and what goes on there in Nashville, he is a huge motivator, and he gets the guys behind him. And that was actually one of the questions. I was watching the press conference earlier with David Poiley, and one of the questions was, do you think the guys weren't motivated? And he gave LaViolette a great, response in the sense that you know peter's a great motivator blah blah blah, but our guys aren't performing to a certain standard so he said that it was the coach's job to get them motivated i think this is kind of a player thing at the same time i mean i can only be as rah 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 as i can be but you guys still need to kind of go out there and perform like matt duchene it has gone there and extremely underachieved is it my job to make him put goals in the net because i mean we pay him to put goals in the net so i'm just kind of on the fence as for the hiring of john hines i like john hines i i said he was going to get another head coaching job i didn't think it was going to be this quick one thing i do know is he practices in his practices in general very up-tempo, very hard, makes you earn it in practice. And maybe this is the kick in the ass that this team needs. Um, I don't want to reference last year because it's a different situation with the worst team in the league compared to here, but St. Louis just needed that jump, and they went from worst to Stanley Cup champion. I mean, could you see the same thing here in Nashville? I could. I mean, they had the talent. I guess for me, it's... You have a guy like Pete DeBoer out there who who knows if he wants to even come back. Like Obviously, I'm working on a lot of assumptions here. I'm just very uninspired by the John Hines hiring, especially since he was just fired by the Devils. And this is a guy who purely uh, keeps talking about motivation. The Devils, who I think a lot of people overestimated what their talent level was uh, before the season started, they gave up on him. I was at his last game as head coach. The team, there was no effort behind the, the guys. There was seemingly no, no structure or system in place. And this is a guy that's supposed to walk into a team that was supposed to contend for a Stanley Cup and turn it around. I mean, I know he's going to be a different coach. He's going to have a different system than Laviolette had. Um, I think offensively, just letting the guys kind of play more to their strengths instead of trying to fit them 
very harshly into a system might help that. Uh, I think he's more so going to help the defensive play and defense defensive structure. Uh, they have the worst goaltending, one of the worst goaltending tandem, tandems in the league, which is incredible to say with Pecorino and uh, Jesus Saros. So I think that might be his biggest impact is kind of getting that defensive structure back into place and helping the goaltenders. I just don't know. So no, if you're looking for a motivator or you're looking for a guy to come into a room and get the boys like juiced up, that John Hines walking through, walking through that door is going to do that. So I'm skeptical on if he's the guy to lead the turnaround, but I'm not saying I would be I would be surprised in a sense because he's not a bad coach. It's just that it's kind of scary to me that the Devils kind of gave up on him as a team that led to his firing and a month later without any time to learn from mistakes or recalibrate his coaching techniques that he's now walking into a Stanley Cup contending ending underachieving room. Do you think a part of it is personality? Because when I see Peter Laviolette, I see a whole bunch of personality. I see storytelling. I see all of this behind him. When I see John Hines and they show close-ups of him and everything else, I don't even think I, I've ever seen the guy blink. So, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's not a lot. Not a lot. So maybe he comes in a little drill sergeant-esque, and this is what that team needs. Maybe they were just kind of too laxed under Laviolette. And I know you said the whole thing with Jersey, but at the same time, we came to talk about earlier of sometimes the shelf life of coaches in a certain place just kind of it, it, it ends at a certain point. So maybe this is yeah. the change or mentality this team needs to get them to where they have to go. Yeah, maybe the team just got tired of LaViolette being the personality of the team when it comes to external, like the fans and the media. And, I mean, this is the longest he's ever been at with one organization as a head coach. Usually it's four or five years, and then he's on to the next one after – Carolina, New York, um, and I'm blanking on the third one. Philadelphia. Yes, thank you. Um, But yeah, so he outlasted all of his other stuff, so maybe that's what contributed to it. I think he is a guy that if you're an underachieving team and you're the GM, he's the first person I'm calling right now because he has a – very extensive track record of coming in and turning things around for teams and teams that are underachieving. I, I called this last night once I saw the fire and I said it in the text to you. I think he's going to Seattle with Ron Francis out there. I, I do. I think it gives him, I don't know what his term was left on his contract, but if it is through next year, he's going to be getting paid next year to sit on his ass. He, he can rejuvenate, go into there a whole new brand new coach. I, I think it could be, a very nice fit for him. Um, obviously, it's still too early to tell as to how the lineup and everything's going to look out there. Probably about next year at the trade deadline, I'm assuming that's when they'll probably start seeing as to who people would possibly keep on their restricted lists and things like that. But I just yeah. think that the relationship with Ron Francis, previously winning a cup in Carolina, I think it puts him in Seattle. But I'm with you, though, too, that if you need, if you have a struggling team right now, he could be your guy too. So uh, we'll see yeah. where Peter finally ends up. Sticking with Nashville, what were your thoughts on the Winter Classic this year? Uh, just to quickly reinforce your point, he is signed through next year. He signed a two-year year extension before the beginning 
of last season. So he's getting he's getting paid, I think, two and a half million dollars for next season just to sit down and do nothing if he wants. So um, my I can see that I can see that happen to Seattle. I was thinking of a coaching swap where Hines replaces him in Nashville and he replaces Hines in New Jersey Jersey because the Devils are underachieving. But we'll see. Um, as far as the Winter Classic. Unfortunately, even though the venue looked fantastic, it was the second largest attended game in NHL history. It had the worst television ratings of any of the Winter Classics since the league has started doing it, so it didn't really draw fans out of National on Detroit. But I thought the game was pretty damn good, and I thought the atmosphere was great. I thought the atmosphere was incredible. Um, there was so many people there from Nashville, too. I mean, I think the Cotton Bowl held, it was just over 80,000. And I think yep. there was at least a solid 30 of them that came from Nashville. So definitely represented very well. I thought the NHL as a whole, when it came to what they did down there and how they made it Texas, like to a T, there was the state fair, there was pig races, there was corn dogs like <laughs> i i thought they did a really good job at making it texas in a sense like i thought it was awesome it looked like a great atmosphere when it came to the actual game this was by far i'd say the heaviest hitting winter classic to date i mean they came out and instantly started banging bodies like it was the first shift that they're bumping in the corner i'm like all right here we go there the boys are ready for a rodeo yeah and i like I led to that Corey Perry, Corey Perry hit. I mean, it's funny that auctioning off his game-worn jersey, even though he wore it for like three and a half minutes of, a, of the game in one shift. Um, but yeah, I thought the game was great. I got to say, those Dallas Stars went to classic uniforms. The whole getup looked fucking sweet, and I wish that they would wear those full-time. Do you think Nashville losing that game after the Corey Perry elbow, which we'll get to in a minute, they're on the national screen in front of everybody. They're up to nothing. They end up losing four two. Do you think that may have ultimately led to Laviolette's demise as well? Just with you're on the national stage, everybody's watching, and that's what ends up happening. Um, yeah, I mean, there is always going to be the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back, and that could have been it. Um, the interesting thing for me, I mean, my biggest takeaway from it, besides the game being pretty good and the atmosphere being great, and very happy that two non-traditional hockey markets turned out like that. If you're a hockey fan or a casual fan and you've been bitching for the last six, seven years, it's always the Blackhawks, it's always the Penguins, it's always the Capitals, can we get new teams well, you got new teams, and then you're going to watch it. So don't be upset when next year it's Minnesota versus the Blackhawks because they're trying to get eyes back on a product. Well, yeah, the NHL announced that next year, January 1st, the Minnesota Wild will be hosting the Winter Classic at Target Field there. That one's going to be a cold one. I don't care what you say. Like That's going to be cold. They have not announced who they're playing yet, which I found interesting. I wonder how they're going to do that. Do they stick with someone in the Central Division? Do they go with someone that they're going to get more views from? What do you think on all that? I mean, it, you, you said Chicago, which wouldn't surprise me for their 18th Winter Classic, but <laughs> you, you think there has to be some sort of 
I mean, just picking somebody else here. <laughs> like, so I mean, first off, that's going to be a big drop in gate revenue because Comp Bowl, you're going from eighty thousand plus to I think thirty five thousand of Target Field. Yeah, so. I was surprised they weren't going to do the home of the Vikings, but at the same time, the Vikings could be playing. So I, yeah, I, un- I, I understand. Yeah, so I understand that, but at the same time, I would have been like, oh no, 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 this is where we're doing this. But that's just me. Yeah, I mean, and in terms of opponent, I would say if they didn't play in it this year, I think Dallas could have been cool. It's like the team that left Minnesota now coming back for the outdoor classic, uh, went to classic. Uh, Winnipeg Jets, I've heard, have been talked about, which would be cool because of that old school rivalry between the North Stars and the Jets. Um, if you just want to go like outside the Central Division and just get a team back, like that's going to get eyes back on a product minnesota state of hockey you know you're going to get a good turnout you know you're going to get a lot of eyes on it just from having a wild in there and having that atmosphere i would kind of try to throw like the edmonton oilers in there and see Connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl on a big fucking stage i mean if you're going for views and you're going for the possible best of what you have i mean that could be a way to do it uh if you want to stick in the central, maybe get some more viewers. I, I know the viewers will be out of the U.S., but maybe the Winnipeg Jets. I, I mean, yep. I, I don't know which way they go here, which makes this uh, intriguing, I would say. I'm sure this will be one of those June or July unveils where they're at the uh, the field in the summertime uh, with the new jerseys and everything else. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they should have just announced it to keep that momentum going, but yeah, anyone I, knows what they're doing after. I felt the same way. I'm sitting there waiting. I'm like, and they're going to pick who? Oh, they haven't announced it. I'm like, fuck off. Yeah, if you're a casual fan, you're like, okay, cool. And then you forget about it because it only happens once a year. And then you're not going to pay attention to the announcement when it actually happens. Well, Um, but when it comes, what about the Perry hit? Just circling back to this year's Winter Classic. That that was tough. I know. No, I was just going to say, our Facebook page, I know some people mentioned the Mark Savard and Matt Cook hit. I don't know if it was that vicious or intentional, but I'm coming out from an outsider when it comes to Bruins fans. What are your, do you think it was that vicious? Do you think it was completely intentional? Like, What were your thoughts on it? I did not think it was as bad as the Matt Cook, Mark Savard hit. I thought that one was above and beyond complete blindside. It, that one was just brutal to watch this one just looks like perry gets there a second late and out of all the things he could have done the one thing he did was the worst possible solution like sticking your elbow out like what did you think was going to happen you you could tell he was frustrated because he knew he did the wrong thing obviously there's a track record here with Corey perry he's done a whole bunch of shit on the ice and Unfortunately, that's what ends up getting him five games. I think if this is someone else who's a first-time offender, maybe only three with Corey and his track record gets a little bit more. At the same time, then Ellis ends up getting on the IR on the other end of it too, diagnosed with a concussion, so maybe that pads it a little bit more. But yeah, I don't think it was as vicious as Matt Cook, Mark Savard, but it was definitely ugly. Uh, when you have a full elbow extension, like I, I just don't know what you think's gonna be called. Like that, he, he seemed he seemed surprised when they gave him the gate, which 
to me is like what what is the shocker here but i don't know maybe it's just yeah, me. I mean, I mean yeah perry's always that guy that's trying to find that line and, and walk it and i can see where he was trying to make a big hit and then at the end suck the elbow out a little bit um five games with the king first of all no tears shed for ryan ellis after his vicious elbow against Pavel Bucinavich and the Rangers the week before, and nothing was called, no fine was levied, no suspension was given. So, karma's a bitch. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, Perry has a little bit of a track record. It was an elbow. It wasn't necessary. The Matt Cook thing was basically, like, he could have been charged with assault once he got off the ice and arrested. Like that was ugly. Oh yeah. He skated uh, a far away for that one. Like I feel like yeah. Perry was at least close when it happened. Cookie came all the way down the ice and was complete blindside. No look elbow to the head. Yeah. I mean, that's why that's part of the package that you get with Corey Perry. That's why even though his scoring is down and he's not going to be that offensive dynamo that he used to be, that he's a pretty solid third line right winger can probably pop in. A few goals here and there, but in, when come playoff time, he's going to be a giant pain in the ass as long as he doesn't cross that line. And that's going to be the biggest thing for Dallas is if he can contribute and put pucks in the net, great. But if he can't, it's keeping him out of the penalty box. It's playing the edge as best as he can and not hurting you. Yep. Um, speaking of guys past their prime, Kovalchuk signed with the Montreal Canadiens for on a two-way, two-way contract, which I thought was a little surprising. Uh, I think he gets 750K uh, prorated at the NHL level. I'm surprised that he went to Montreal. Well, I don't think it's going to end well in terms of his production versus his name value combined with the fan base and media in Montreal. Um, but low-risk signing for them. When it comes to the on-ice product, he'll slide in on the right side, probably after Cousins and Suzuki playing that third line, or we can even slide up on a second line left wing. What are your thoughts on Asani? Do you think this is a good fit for him uh, on the ice and off the ice? And are you su- surprised that it was Montreal that was the one that brought him in? Yeah, Montreal shocked the complete shit out of me. I mean, maybe he just wants to be in a hockey market. Maybe mentally that'll put him in a better place. But you go to a place with Claude Julian there and a whole defensive system. I mean, it happened here. Like guys do not go to a Claude Julian system and blossom offensively. It just doesn't happen because he wants you to play on the right side of the puck first before the other stuff happens. So I just see him going there. He may get top minute. He may get top line minutes, top six minutes, but the first time he pulls his shit and he's not back checking or he's not battling or in the right place defensively, Clodo bury him. And we've all heard these stories of Kovalchuk, and it's like, is he going to go crazy on the bench and like go at it with Clodo? Like, how is it exactly is this going to end? And that's what I want to know. I know we're about just about halfway through the season. A lot of teams right at that forty-one game mark, some over, some above, but like. I think that's going to see if he actually plays the full season with the Canadians or if they terminate a contract. That's what I want to see. 
I mean, he has that a- AHL option, but if like if he, he gets, he's not going to the fucking AHL, he will not go there. If he's trying to sign him to the A, he's just going to pack his bags and go back to Russia anyway. So, um, like I said, low risk signing on the ice. I highly doubt it's going to work out. I think at this point, he's not a top six producer, and he's not a fit for the bottom six in terms of his style of playing defensive skills. So I don't know where he fits in NHL at this point. But if it if they do happen to catch lightning in a bottle, they're on in the mix for a wild card spot. If they make the playoffs, who knows? So I can see them trying to take the risk. I just don't know if this is the right situation for him. Yeah, I, I just think it's going to be a tough mix. Like I said, the way Julian coaches and the way he plays, I do not see those two seeing eye to eye at times. But hold on one question. Yeah. Do you think, obviously, Bergevin brought him in there for something. Do you think Bergevin had to have a sit down with Claude to be like, hey, he could possibly put us over that hump and in the playoffs if he can contribute offensively? You kind of need to pump the brakes on him a little bit? Or how, how do you think that went? I mean, I'm sure Julian was brought in as part of the conversation. You always want to be on the same page with your head coach. I think especially during his run with the Bruins, he kind of has the understanding of as long as everybody does their job, I don't care about your past. As long as you follow the system, I don't care about anything else. And like you mentioned earlier, if he starts slacking defensively, if he's not skating back on, on hard on a back check, that's going to be an issue, and that's where there's going to be friction. Um, I just think, because I know Montreal is rumored to be in the Taylor Hall sweepstakes, They've been looking for some offensive help and depth for, for practically all season now at this point because they're surprisingly in that contender spot for a playoff spot. So this is as low risk as you can get. If it doesn't work out, it still gives them plenty of time before the deadline and make another move. That's that's very true. So I guess we will see where this one ends up going. Do you want to touch on the World Junior Championship since I know that's one of your favorite times of the year? It is one of my favorite times of the year. I, I love watching these kids play. I love the compete level. Uh, Canada wins the World Juniors this year. Come from behind win. Whoa, no way. No, I know. But, hey, sometimes <laughs> sometimes it switches up. Um, Barrett Hayden uh, had an ugly injury in the semifinals. Didn't know if he was going to play in the finals. Comes out in the finals and has an absolute snipe like it almost looked like a bend them like beckett beckett shot like it came up and i was like holy shit and then a kale smith ends up coming in in the uh last three minutes ends up giving canada the lead canada wins i thought there was a phenomenal video i believe it was hockey collective on instagram posted where the kids they were at practice some of them were off the ice watching it uh from the warm room you could see all the kids get all excited when Canada ends up winning the championship. And then the other kids that were on the ice, they take off like bandits. Like they had just won world junior gold and they were celebrating on the ice. I thought it was a cool clip as to Canadian kids, man, they grow (laughs) up and like, that's what they strive for. Like, I think that whole nation is completely off Christmas break boxing day there it starts and i mean that whole nation watches what goes on and they are completely behind their team 
Next year, it's going back to Red Deer in Alberta. I think it's going to be a wild thing. Like, game one, Boxing Day, when Canada comes out, you want to talk about insanity? That's going to be it. Like, it's going to be wild and crazy. I just, I'm excited to see where it lands, where it takes us. And it should be very cool to see. Um, They always come out. They always defend well. They always defend their championship well. I'm very excited to see where this takes us. I'm sorry about that, Benny. That's just my little World Juniors take. Can we get a little uh, Rangers weekend review? Sure thing, big boy. So the Rangers had their annual Western Canada road trip. Uh, it's been a while since we've gotten swept by both the Flames and the Oilers, but Rangers happened to pull it off. They lost 4-3 on the second, first game of the new decade, a new year. Uh, they lost to the Oilers on New Year's Eve. Uh, Connor McDavid looked, made everybody look like peewee players. And then they lost on Saturday in Vancouver. So they returned home tonight. They're currently winning 3-2 against the Avalanche. I'll get to this in a second. It's Igor uh, Shesterkin's NHL debut, the highly touted goaltending prospect. Um, I would say, before I get into that, the biggest news for the Rangers besides... You know, it's. I'm not going to bore everybody each week by talking about the ups and downs of a young rebuilding team. Like you're going, you guys have lived through it. Whichever fan base you're a part of, you have a good seven, one and two stretch, and then you go one five and one, and then you go like four two and three. Like you guys know what the struggle is. The two big storylines I would think coming out with the Rangers in the last week or so. The first one is it's getting close to the trade deadline time in trading season and that means who is available from the new york rangers to get picked up and help your playoff team and behind door number one is chris Kreider. we've talked about Kreider plenty on this podcast uh it's going to be a little weird not seeing him on a ranger and they don't have anybody in the system that's going to be able to replace what he brings through 200 feet of ice uh every each and every game so he's going to be a big thing to miss Moving forward, you have the decision that we touched on last week. Ryan Strom is arbitration eligible at the end of the year. He's having a career year. He is playing with Artemi Panarin. Uh, does he fit into the long-term plans? Does his salary fit into long-term plans? If not, might as well sell high, I guess. Uh, what came out this week was the Rangers are actively listening to trade offers on my favorite defender, Brady Shea. And he had a rough Canadian road trip. He just blew a opportunity to score in a wide-open net, shorthanded. He's just not the player that the Rangers thought he was. And I think that's a change of scenery trade. He's not. He's a top-four defender. He's a second pairing. He's a solid, sometimes inconsistent, left-hand shot, second-pair defenseman. Like He's not overrated. He's not a guy that you're going to be placing on waivers anytime soon. But he's not going to be able to settle in as a second-pair defenseman with this organization and fan base after all the expectations that were placed on him once McDonough left town. So he's going to have to get shipped out to just feel comfortable in that second-pair setting. He has a few years left on his deal. He is paid north of $5 million a year, but he's still young. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of teams interested in making a move for him, potentially not until the summer once more teams can figure out their off-season plans. But look for him to be rumored uh, to be on a move as we get closer to the deadline. Um, and the last one is Jesper Faust. He's a UFA at the end of the year. He's a very good 
Uh, you know, third liner, fourth liner. He's playing in and over his head as a first liner right now with the Rangers, but he plays the game the right way. He's a good penalty killer. He can play with skilled guys. Uh, um, he's a no-nonsense, low any playoff team would love to have him. Right-hand shot, right-winger. I just, I don't think this is a guy the Rangers can commit to moving forward. He's probably going to get, what, three, four million dollars a year annually, and that's just too rich for my my blood for um, a third or fourth liner at this point in a rebuild. So look for him to be rumored about. And the big storyline making his NHL debut tonight at Madison Square Garden against the high-powered Colorado Avalanche was Igor Shesterkin. He gave up two goals in the first three shots he faced. He's settled in since then. This kind of sets off the whole ripple effect for the Rangers' goaltending situation. They have three goaltenders on the NHL roster. Lundqvist is the backup Tonight, Georgiev is not even dressed. They can't send Georgiev to Hartford. He would have to clear waivers, and obviously he's going to get claimed. Hank isn't going anywhere, and if this kid plays well, I don't see why they would send him down back to Hartford either. So Georgiev might be on a move at this deadline, definitely this summer, if uh, Shesterkin uh, lives up to the billing. He had a sub-two goals against average in Hartford. I think it was a 9-3-1 save percentage. He has... All-time records in the KHL for wins, goals against, save percentage, shutout. So if that translates, he's the real deal. So it's going to be exciting to see if he can kind of come over. He played well in Hartford on a smaller ice service, and if he can translate that to the big boys. And with this goalie controversy that's going on, I mean, if you guys do end up getting rid of Georgiev, what do you think the return would be? Yeah, so that's interesting in the sense that he's played well. I mean, Hank's played better than him this year overall. Uh, Lundqvist, if you look at some of the advanced stats, he's a borderline top five goaltender in the National Hockey League based on expected goals against with the difficulty of shots that he faces. So he hasn't lost a step really um, from where he was last year, the year before, the year before that. You look at Cam Talbot when he was traded by the Rangers, didn't get much in return. Got, I think it was like a second-round pick. The Martin Jones deal could be a barometer for that. Uh, Auntie Ranta was included as a much larger deal with the Coyotes when the Rangers got back D'Angelo and the seventh overall pick. I, do you think Yorgiev is a bona fide, like, clear-cut? He may not be a franchise goaltender, but he's number one, or is he still a guy that has a lot of talent and he's still trying to figure out just what level he can get to. I think it's that because, I mean, it, it's hard, too, when as a goalie you're behind Hank and you know Hank's going to get a majority of the workload. You're going to get some with him being, you know, getting older and aging. But is he able to go in and take over a workload? Is he able to go in and get you the results that you need? I, I don't know. I mean, I think personally he would need to step into – a situation like he was in with you guys where he has a very good guy ahead of him where he can learn from and maybe he can become that goalie but I think it's also with time I don't think it's an instant fix yeah for me I agree he's kind of in that stage and just circling just gave up a third goal uh, pretty tough start for the kid don't you think playing first game at the garden against the Avs so pretty tough assignment um when it comes to Georgiev, I think he would fit. If he's going to get traded at the deadline, a team like Calgary would be a fit. They need a goaltender. 
but they have a veteran like Cam Talbot who, if necessary, can still fill in get split 50-50 of the starts. And it's not going to be a guy who's going to block Georgiev in case he runs away with the number one job, finally getting full-time a full-time opportunity in the league. So if I'm a team, I'm looking for an opportunity like that. As far as compensation, like what are you going to get, a second-round pick? Or a B-level prospect and a conditional pick based on games started next season or something like that. So it's not going to be a super strong return. They're not going to get a blue-chip prospect or a number one draft pick. So if you're a Ranger fan, you're expecting that. might want to temper those expectations. I, I agree. I think the fandom sometimes, they expect a lot more in return than what it should be. And we're having another uh, go around right now. Matt Calvert's trying to fight Jacob Chuba. Sorry for the live diary of the Ranger game right now, but that would not end well for him. The Chuba should take it. Yeah, <laughs> I signed up for that every day of the week, twice, twice on Sunday. <laughs> um, uh, what about your bees? How are things looking for you guys? Not very good, to be honest. <laughs> um, so we recorded last time, it was the 30th, and then the next day the Bruins were playing the 31st, the matinee in New Jersey. We had a lead that we completely blew. Um, the Devils came back and outplayed us. We kind of sat on our heels, and the Devils deserved to win that game. We ended up losing in a shootout. That's on the Bruins. That, that, that was not on anybody else but them. And then Thursday night, the 2nd, was it the 2nd? It was the 2nd. Thursday night, the 2nd. We end up getting an overtime loss to the Columbus Blue Jackets in their backup goalie because their guy's out now. We we end up losing to Elvis Mazurkins. Um, we need to figure it the fuck out. Um, our record twenty four seven and eleven. If we cut that eleven from overtime and shootout losses to a six or a seven, we are far and above points wise everybody in the league everybody like like they need to figure it the fuck out and what happened in that overtime loss to columbus and this is where i'm sure people are going to come at me and i don't give a fuck because if you're coming at me over this you obviously don't know shit about hockey david pasternak in the three-on-three in overtime is a goddamn fucking liability he turns pucks over And then on top of it, after he turns pucks over, he has no fucking idea where to go on a back check, does not know how to pick up the open guy, or just doesn't back check at all. It's happened at least three times this year in an overtime where he's given a puck up, lost the puck, and we've come down and we've lost an overtime. It's unacceptable. And obviously, I know what David Pasternak gives you offensively. But if he can't control a fucking puck or back check or know who he's supposed to pick up on a back check, I wouldn't play him. I wouldn't. And to be honest, I'm just aggravated with the whole situation because he comes out. It's currently one nothing Boston right now against Nashville, and he scores a beautiful goal. But if it's overtime, I don't want him on the ice. I don't. It's, it's I don't know. It, maybe it's just me, but if anybody watches them like I do, that you can clearly see it. It's happened at least three different occasions in overtime where he's cost us the game. And don't tell me it hasn't, because if that's what you're telling me, then you don't know shit about hockey. Uh, We get spanked by Edmonton on Saturday. We're playing Nashville tonight. Nashville should be full of fucking piss and vinegar with the LaViolette firing. I 
I hope this team can just turn it around. Obviously, we can't go to a shootout or overtime because we lose. So just win in regulation. What's so hard about that? Just just win in regulation because all these games that get pushed to overtime or a shootout, we blew it. Like, that's the reason why. So play 60 minutes. I know I said 60 minutes for the probably the eighth fucking episode in a row. But this team has this year not consistently, not at all played a 60-minute hockey game. And in the playoffs, because I, I can foreshadow that a little bit, if we don't play a 60-minute game and we don't play our game, we will be out in the first round. We will be the yep. Tampa Bay of last year. And, and I, that's a fact. My question to you is, is that a coaching issue? Because I know um, when teams struggle after the first period into the second, that kind of comes off as a lack of adjustments or preparedness, preparing your team for the adjustments the opponents might make. Or is it just a matter of effort level uh, for the guys in this team and been there, done that, and it, once it starts getting closer to the playoff push, they'll turn it around. Well, with you're saying with the playoff push and turning it around, uh, the games now mean just as much as the points in you know end of February and March. Like uh, these two points count as much now as they do yeah. then. Like it's effort because you see them come out sometimes in the first period, they turn it on. They come out in the second and they're completely flat. They come out sometimes in the third, they're flat. And then the last five minutes, it's give them hell. And sometimes they're able to get by. It's they need to push the pace. They need to play north-south hockey. They need to stop winding up and shooting pucks right in the blocked lanes. Because, I mean, to me, it's amazing that at the NHL level, as a defenseman, if that lane's blocked, do not force it. Push it back behind the net and let your forwards go to work. Like, yep. It, it, it seems to me that the simplicity of the game sometimes for them gets away from them. Maybe they're doing a little too much. Maybe Brad Marsh and a little too much dipsy do. Maybe pasta the same thing. I understand that now pasta's on like a three-game goal streak and an 11-game point streak. But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with going wide. You don't have to dangle. You can go wide, get by him, let somebody else push it towards the net. There's nothing wrong with the bad shot unless you shoot it right into somebody. Like, just back to simplicity, and I think they'll be playing a lot better. But at one point, it looked like there was a lot of fatigue, especially in that Devils game where we looked really tired. But coming out of the Christmas break, you shouldn't be tired. You just had three full days off. Yeah. So I just don't know what it is but there is definitely something with this team that is making them play the way they are i do not believe it is the coach i don't think it's bruce cassie i don't think it's the coaching staff i think it's something within that locker room whether it's they're not telling people what injuries are or whatever it might be but i I think that they yes there is a better tempo for them there's a better way to play and hopefully we can scratch that surface and then keep momentum rolling. I have a comment and a question. Okay. The comment is, you know, the fatigue, even though they had three days off after the Christmas break, maybe that's just some wine and a lot of heavy food finally catching up uh, to the boys that spent it at home with family and friends. Um, I know I see that a lot every 
towards the end of uh, the year after the Christmas break around the league or the complaints from fans about the same thing. So I wonder if that's an actual thing. Um, my question is, I know you're not blaming Cassidy or the coaching staff, but let's say this stays an issue, a habitual issue the rest of the year, and you guys bow out in the first round. Is he in trouble? I think with the lineup that is there, he could be in trouble, but at the same time, do you think ownership gives a pass due to the Stanley Cup final last year? They played a lot of hockey. Maybe they're tired. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not too sure, to be honest. That, that, that'll that be interesting. We'll see how that one plays out. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm the ownership, as long as they don't crater, I'd probably give them uh, a quarter halfway through next year to see what happens. And if the same issues keep popping up, then maybe I'll make a change then. But... I would be, yeah, I, it was just a hypothetical question, but I would be surprised if he was gone, even if they lost in the first round. Agreed. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Do we have any history today? Well, we got to make our picks, my friend. Oh, all right. We can do picks. You want to go first? You want me to go? You can go first this time. All Next right. week, I'll give the update on the standings, even though you probably have like a 17 pick lead. All right. Well, you'll probably giggle at this one. Uh, well, not the, well, my pick, not my game of the week. <laughs> My game of the week, I have two teams that in their last 10 games are both 7-3-0. and I have Thursday night, Vancouver at Florida. So watching in person about 23 people, <laughs> uh, I think I think you're going to get a really good game out of the two of them. They've both been playing really well lately. So It's the Roberto Luongo Memorial Classic. Yeah, exactly. So unfortunately... It won't be in front of a lot of people there, but maybe watching there'll be a lot more people. I do think that's a good matchup. Same night in Florida as well, Arizona at Tampa Bay. I think that'll also be a really good game to watch. My pick, well, my lock of the week, uh, Friday night, Ottawa at Detroit. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, boy. I guess we should do a double or nothing. It's, we have two uh, locks of the week because that's going to be our running, even though that's not looking good for me either at this point of the year between the Red Wings and the Senators. All right. Well, well, let me look at something else. I'll give you my other lock after. Let me just look at this. All right. Uh, my game of the week pick is also Thursday, January 9th. It's the Coyotes on the road against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa Bay is back, baby. Uh, I think last night they leapfrogged, and the night before they leapfrogged, the uh, Maple Leafs, uh, they're nipping at the heels of the Bruins, and I think they turned that corner. It's a new year. Uh, I think the team as a whole finally turned that switch on and said, all right, enough fucking around. Let's get this shit started. Uh, It's still surprising to me that after the way they started and the way the Bruins started, the Lightning still have a chance at winning the division. Uh, but the Coyotes having a good year, very good defensive team against that offensive firepower with the Lightning should be a good one. My lock of the week, besides having to begrudgingly go with the Red Wings over the Senators, is the night before Wednesday, January 8th, the Dallas Stars on a road against the Los Angeles Kings. And I'm picking the Stars. All right. Uh, I have mine for Saturday night. I have Columbus at Vegas going with Vegas. Okay. Um. Yeah, next week I'll update the standings on that after these games are over with. For today in NHL history, for January 7th, I just have two quick ones. Bobby Hull in 1968 scores twice to become the first Chicago Blackhawks player and the fourth in the NHL to score 400 career goals. 
And lastly, in 1981, Marcel Dion of the Los Angeles Kings scores two goals to become the 13th NHL player with 1,000 points. He does so in his 740th NHL game. At the time, he is the fastest to 1,000 points in NHL history. Interesting. Oh, that's a good one. Who do you have for shout-outs? Um, I have a very bad one this week. Uh, my cousin up in Canada, beautiful family, uh, just lost their daughter, who is going to turn two next week. I'm sorry, next month in February. Uh, the poor girl went to the doctor. The doctor told her that she had a cold. She should be better within a week. A couple of days after, th- this girl is just fever, fever, fever. And she brings her back in, and by the time she brings her back in, the doctors run some tests, and they say, well, her kidneys are already failing, and she's on her way to her brain aneurysm. Wow. And they had her all hooked up to the machines, and they they told the mother, um, do you want to hold your daughter for her last breaths as we unplug her? So as a parent, that one kind of hits me right in the heartstrings. I, I can't imagine what they're going through. Uh, thoughts and prayers i had talked to them today definitely a rough situation just stating that they think this is just a bad nightmare that they'll eventually wake up from uh they also have a son who's five the daughter would have been two kind of reminds me of what i have with the four-year-old and a two-year-old so yeah just be grateful for what you have uh give your kids a hug and a kiss before they go to bed tonight because it puts it in perspective when sometimes they're driving you a little bit crazy. They're a little out of their minds that something like this, you, you know, be grateful for what you have. Yes. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, some of my condolences, even though I haven't met them, that is a rough one. Um, I'm not going to have any shout outs this week. I'm going to leave it at that. All right. Um, everybody, as always, thank you for listening. Tonight is January the 7th. Uh, Iran had made an, a push at the U.S. bases in Iraq tonight. There was a couple of missiles that were thrown. Obviously, we don't condone that. This is not a political podcast. We're just making a statement. And via our outro music, we will be making a statement. As always, everybody, thank you for listening. We will catch you next week. There's a lot of men dead So we can sleep in peace at night When we lay down our heads My daddy served in the army We lost his right eye But he flew a flag out in our yard Till the day that he died He wanted my mother, my brother, my sister and me To grow up and live happy in the land of the free this nation that I love is falling under attack A mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back Soon as we could see clearly through our big black eye Man, we lit up your world